Hey listener, thanks for being here. I'm Ludo. And I'm Marge. And this is Speak It Out, a podcast by Shrink It Out. Here, we tell your stories and share our thoughts and encourage debate on psychological and social well-being. Hello everyone and welcome back to Speak It Out. Today we're going to talk about um, getting into the working world after studying. And I'm here with uh, two very special people that I'm very excited to introduce. Um, the first one is Angeliki, and she recently joined Shrink It Out. Um, so you will hear her quite often in our podcasts. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello, girls and everyone listening to this podcast. Uh, my name is Angeliki, and I am uh, new to this world of Shrink It Out very excited about it. Um, I am a clinical psychology student currently in the end of my master's degree and I come from Greece. Um, yeah and we also um, have uh, Donatella here from Ella the Project. She uh, actually uh, reached out to us uh, with this topic and we are very excited to have her. Um, do you want to say a few words about yourself and your project? Yeah, sure. So hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Donatella. Uh, people call me Donna or they call me Ella. So you can choose. Uh, I have a psychology degree and also a neuroscience master's. Uh, right now I work in research. I am in a neuroscience lab uh, as a research assistant and um, at the same time, I'm doing uh, training to become a sex therapist. Um, and I started my little side project, which is my Instagram page uh, called um, Ella the Project. Uh, I started just a few months ago, and it mainly uh, focuses around topics of uh, sex education, psychology, uh, and nonviolent communication. Uh, I'm Italian. Uh, I studied in the Netherlands, but right now I live and work in Italy. Great. Thank you so much for the introduction. Um, yeah, so um, I think we can jump right into it. I can make a brief uh, overview of what we're going to talk about. Um, so we, we're going to talk about uh, the pressure that we may feel when uh, we're ending our studies and we have to jump into a career and where uh, this pressure stems from, um, whether it's uh, from people our age, older generations or ourselves. And um, then we will talk about how perfectionism um, kind of relates to this and how it fuels uh, our pressure. And then uh, we will also mention um, the 2008 crisis and uh, how COVID-19 has uh, influenced everything and uh, to end we will maybe look a bit um, ahead and give some advice of like how to deal with this um, I think very hard and like uncertain period of people's lives so I wanted to maybe start with a question and I wanted to ask like how um, since we're nearing uh, and I are nearing the end of our masters and you're already um, in your in the working world Ella um, how this is, has been for you, how is it, it's going, uh, like how starting applications and uh, starting to think about the working world is for you in general? Yeah, so um, 
for me, um, because I, I had, uh, for my two-year master's degree, I only had the first semester that was in person, and then the pandemic started. So um, I really felt the pressure to just do something. I felt like I was kind of wasting my time. So <laughs> I basically packed a second semester of my first year with courses so that I only had to do an internship and then the thesis during the second year. Um, and during that time, I already started looking into uh, job ads and I started thinking about what I was going to do next. Um, so I basically applied for the job that I'm doing right now when I was still working on my thesis. Uh, and I actually started working when I was still finishing the uh, data processing and the analysis and the writing and all of that. So I was basically working full time and then working on my thesis in the evenings and on the weekends. And before that, I had an experience as a, as a research assistant, well, during my master's and also during the bachelor's. So yeah, for me, it was a moment in which I was kind of rushing into the, into the work field. But then at the same time, I didn't feel like I had many skills other than research. So it made sense to get another research uh, position. And so that's what I did. Um, yeah, I, I guess that must have been very stressful, like the managing a thesis and um, like the start of um, a career, I guess. What about you, Emily? For me, I guess I'm many steps back. <laughs> I still haven't really entered the working world. I'm still in the process of learning and making myself qualified to enter that world. We still have a few months until we finish our master's. And to be honest, it is quite a terrifying thought to think about what's, what's going to be like next year. And for me now, although I really want to work, I catch myself prolonging my studies and uh, prolonging even the thoughts and the decisions about the future so that I can stay in this studying environment as much as possible firstly because I'm terrified of starting a stable job and secondly because I don't want to give up the student life just yet so what I have decided to do is prolong my studies in a way that I will leave only my thesis project for next year which I I knew I could do it this year but I decided not to because I want, I want a reason to be able to keep studying and also figure out what I want to do because I had to find a thesis topic for this year and I couldn't because I haven't really decided what exactly my area is. So then I decided let's just do it next year um, and let's just leave the thesis be the only thing I do next year in terms of academics so that I can really pay a lot of attention to it and just do my best on it. And in terms of, in ter in terms of work, I know I just got to push myself a little bit harder uh, and start sending applications and um, start taking care of my future. Um, but in reality, all the pressure that I may be feeling from my 
family or older generations in general or my peers through conversations I have with them or through LinkedIn, all these things, um, instead of helping me be more productive and more efficient, they actually stress me out and they make me procrastinate in a way. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I feel like it's so different for people. Um, or in general, I think it's a curve, like there's an amount of pressure and stress that is that makes you be more proactive. But then when the pressure is just too much, you become like kind of stuck and like paralyzed in that thing. So um, I totally get it. And yeah, since you mentioned like possible um, sources of pressure being like your family or peers, do you feel like there's one of these that is more like strong for you or yeah, from which you feel more pressure? I think that there is a lot of pressure from older generations, especially from our parents to start having a structure in our lives and start pursuing adult things, start pursuing jobs and a career. But the truth is that things are very different from the old times. And nowadays, expectations and standards are a lot higher than they used to be. So although I do find it very reasonable for parents to sort of try to motivate you to uh, take action towards this, I also acknowledge that things are very different nowadays. So what I choose to be pressured by, in a way, is the present and my current social environment. So that would be my peers, my classmates, my teachers, my siblings, all that stuff, right? So I would say that the main source of pressure that I have um, come from my peers, my peers and how, how active they have become in this time frame and how I noticed that we all started the same day and we've come to a point where I can see people achieving more than I'm achieving or at least they're displaying it in a in a different way through LinkedIn for example yeah that's so true what about you Elo do you also feel like the pressure comes more from your peers and or at least is more like justified from our peers in a way um for me I think the pressure that comes from the peers has more of an impact on me. Uh, I'm not exactly sure if it's generally more compared to older generations, but um, I find it a lot harder to not think about it, just to minimize it because um, as Angeliki was saying, it's kind of like, these people are doing the same things that I'm doing. You know, these people are doing or, or they've done the same studies that I have done. And now I see these big names on their LinkedIn. I see they're starting their PhDs in amazing universities. So it's a lot harder not to compare myself with these people. Because if I think about older generations, then I realize, okay, but that was a completely different time. It was a different universe almost uh in the sense that these people like people that finished high school in the 70s 80s early 90s many people didn't even go to university because you would only go to university to become a doctor an engineer or 
well, in some cases, if you really wanted to study something and you have the financial means to do that, but it was not required while now it's required for most jobs. So yeah, so I definitely internalized the pressure from older generations, but then I, I have a harder time handling the pressure that comes from, um, yeah, comparing myself with my peers, definitely. And why is that? Do you feel like LinkedIn uh, really plays a big role in this? Or is it also like something less internet-based and more like in everyday talk? For me, it's definitely coming from the internet. <laughs> and maybe not even just LinkedIn, but generally social media, because we we had these past couple of years in which most of our life and most of our social life was online. Uh, because of the pandemic and in my specific case because I studied abroad and then I came back to Italy my home country so then I had a lot of connections that were outside of Italy a lot of uh, former classmates a lot of friends from universities some of them are still in the Netherlands and some of them went back to their own countries so a lot of that was happening online like people posting about their PhDs, people just generally posting on social media the best of their lives, uh, of course, because you don't want to see the behind the scenes. You want to see what, what happens on stage on Instagram, for example. So yeah, so for me, it was, it was definitely the pressure that I was getting anytime that I was opening any social media app. Yeah, I agree. Like, because... I feel like in real life, you can really connect also to the pressure. Like, I don't know, I see my friends achieving a lot, but I also see how stressed they are uh, in approaching the working world. So I feel like we're all in the same boat. While, yeah, when you just see like the outcome of a job someone uh, started or, yeah, you don't realize how much like anxiety and uncertainty there was before they had everything figured out. So Yeah, yeah and also like... I because I'm like the, the job that I'm doing right now like my contract runs out in like a month and then I'm gonna do something else actually mm-hmm. uh, so I was editing my CV because I need to send it out to apply for positions uh, for sort of a, a traineeship for my uh, for my uh, psychology license here in Italy and I was looking at the list of the projects that I've done, all the things that I've done when I was still a student and then when I was a research assistant and the bachelor thesis and the master thesis and all of that. And then this job. And even for me, like I, I was reading that and it sounded as if I was talking about someone else. Like it seemed so nice and shiny and with all these big names and cool topics and I had experience with different techniques and things that you can do in the lab and all of that stuff and it really doesn't describe how I was feeling and how I went through well how I went through it all so yeah it was it was like this very shiny version of my work history and it's not lies like I've done those things but it's really it's definitely not the full story yeah and this I think plays so much into like imposter syndrome and uh feeling a bit like a fraud and 
but I think, okay, in a, in a way, it's a very negative thing, and I definitely relate to how you're feeling, and it's a very, like, it makes you feel very insecure, but I also think it's a good thing to keep in mind that everyone kind of feels like that way, so, like, when you're approaching LinkedIn or someone else's CV, that, of course, when you're presenting something, you have to present it in a way that is appealing, because you have to sell yourself, but behind that, there is, like, a personal experience of someone who may or may not feel like yeah that they are limited to what is written there and that they actually acquired what is written there in the way it is written if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah how much do you feel like perfectionism plays into this pressure and or does it at all for you I think that perfectionism is a very common thing nowadays people try to be perfect because yeah, society has set very, very high standards for them. And we can see that they are very intolerant in making mistakes or performing in any way that is not great, not perfect. And that does have a lot of impact on mental health, obviously. For me, I have definitely developed some perfectionistic traits in the latest years of my life. I would say from my experience when I first started studying in the Netherlands when I was 18, it was very different from now. Now I'm 23 and obviously I feel like a completely different person because back then I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't really know what my future was holding for me, to know how, how big the world is and how many things I can do. And I also didn't know how I have to, I'm not sure if what I'm about to say is correct maybe you can guys comment on it but I sometimes have the perception the sense that in order to achieve you have to be better than others as if there's some sort of hierarchy in the business market and work market so back when I was doing my bachelor's I was performing well as a student but I didn't really do it intrinsically I did it more because I had to, I was basically just getting into adulthood and I didn't understand. But now that I actually made my own decisions in a way, I am faced with the consequences that my own behavior brings. So this last year, uh, after starting my master's, I have uh, definitely really digested what others expect from me or my parents or society in general or my future employers. So that has sort of converted into a perfectionistic trait where everything needs to be done in a, in a certain way. And there's not really much space for anything that is average or, or good. Um, I wouldn't say that it's, it's something that is really, really impacting. In, I wouldn't say that it's something that is really impacting me. Uh, mentally but I definitely have some so have some tendency that I tendencies that I am trying to discard because perfectionism isn't necessarily good it can give you some degree of productivity and efficiency but on the other side you can also really sabotage what you're doing I think I would like because you asked um I don't know if you agree with what I'm saying of like the hierarchical part of thinking 
like you're kind of put into comparison with other people and the person who achieves the most is the one who succeeds in like for example uh, achieving a job I think this is much more perceived than we think uh, in the sense that in the end I think it's we're not as in competition as we actually think we are um, but I definitely feel the feeling and I also think yeah the perfectionism you're explaining makes a lot of sense in terms of like there are different types of perfectionism and the one you're explaining of uh in like just uh, internalizing expectations that other people may ha have of you I think it's called like socially prescribed perfectionism and uh so it's not something that maybe derives solely from yourself and that it's standards that you put from yourself but standards that you think other people put for you it's mainly perceived yeah definitely yeah about that I had this impression up until I started applying for jobs actually so I I thought and I think I was told that you always need to be the best but in reality the point is that you need to be the right person at the right time in the right place that's kind of how it seems to be uh for me and how I went when I applied for positions actually even before graduating so the first uh actual paid position that I had as a research assistant which was a part-time job and then after that when I applied for my internship the one that I did before graduating and then again with this job that I'm doing. And I actually recently had a meeting with my, with my boss um, because he spoke about all the things that I need to do before I leave. So giving all the information to the next person that will take my, my place. And he said that, he said, we had other people that applied for your position and they had more experience with the population that we work with so like the people that that are part of our samples for our for our research which is a it's a clinical population specifically but he said we prefer to hire you instead even though you didn't have this experience with this clinical population because we thought your cv was better in terms of like the experience that you had in research in general and I remember when I applied for this position that I was actually stressing out a lot, thinking about that I didn't have that experience with that clinical population. And I was thinking, maybe this is not going to work out. Maybe that's, that's the thing. They might, they might say, yeah, okay, she has a good CV, but we really need that experience with that clinical population. It was even written in the, in the job ad. So we're not going to hire her. And they actually did. So for sure, it was not the best, but for some reason, they decided to hire me anyway. So for me, it was something that I was told over and over again. I remember even in high school, I had teachers talking about how in some companies, they look at CVs and if they see that you didn't graduate cum laude, then they would just throw it in the, in the, in the trash without even reading it, like without even reading the rest of the CV. And it sounds so dumb to me <laughs> right now if I think about it. But back then, I was terrified. I was like, what? So does it mean that I always have to be the best? But when is it going to be enough? Like, if, if, what, what if all the people that apply for a job have the best grades and the best CVs? Then what happens? So, so yeah, for me, it definitely, like, starting working definitely put things into perspective. Yeah, I also agree. Um, I feel like, 
when you start working and you like get accepted to a job you understand like and you understand why they hired you of course this gives you some sort of confidence but also like I feel like you understand how much personal more personal it is it's very true that it's about luck like about being there at the right moment and everything but it's also about like what you can personally bring to the um, company or whatever because um, I really realized like compared to how I used to uh, do my applications like in a very like okay I did this 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 and then I started doing applications to places that I really like and writing like like basically I love your your purpose or your, your mission and whatever and I love it because of these reasons and the response I got even though it, I wasn't always um approved of course or like uh hired or whatever um but it was much more personal and they I think they saw through me more than if I just listed what what I did because yeah I, I feel like this is not even taught but I started applying <laughs> like this more more frequently just by telling them really really what I'm passionate about and why I like their initiative or whatever uh, and I think that is a very recent approach of employers to sense the enthusiasm of the employees and hire them based on that and not so much about how many boxes do they take or anything because probably they've come to understand that that's what it takes to be efficient at your job to actually like it and be be enthusiastic about it I agree but obviously you also need to uh, fulfill certain requirements obviously but at least it's not what Ella said that you know they say you don't have cum laude so your application goes to the bin I don't know also I, I I guess I haven't had too much experience but none of the people none of the places I asked ever looked at my grades I don't know I I don't feel like it's I don't know maybe in certain bubbles it is but I don't feel it's as important as people think maybe that's also important to mention for some uh, people who are still studying and are worried about (laughs) people care much less than you think at least no one I know ever asked like no one told me oh I applied for this job and they told me I have to have come loud like it's much more important yeah who you are and what experiences you had yes as you said like uh if we think in a way of like doing more and more and more and doing like the, being the best possible applicant for a job there's sort of these sort of like feelings of guilt for uh, never doing enough and also like some intolerance for failing and for making mistakes do you think you can relate to this yeah I can definitely I had that uh, both when I was applying for positions and also during this experience this first uh, full-time job in research it is a little different than in a company I have to say because there are different projects going on and different people are in charge of different aspects of the project and then there is the PhD students and they do their own thing. So my specific position as a research assistant was more of just helping out pretty much everybody. But with that, you have pros and cons. So one of the positive sides of that is that you do feel like you have a lot of freedom because you have different people working on different things. And if you feel interested in going a little deeper with a certain type of analysis or going a little deeper with a certain technique, then they can definitely uh, teach you more. And yeah, you, you basically support them like a, a little more than you would 
support other people in the lab. But then at the same time, I did feel many times that I didn't have a clear direction in my work. And that brought me the feeling that I was not doing enough, um, that I was not that I was not really getting it, like that I was making too much effort for things that were supposed to be effortless sometimes. Yeah, and a lot of self-doubting as well. Yeah, so it's, I think it's, it's really normal in the first year or first few years or first jobs to feel like that you're not fully getting it, uh, that you're not achieving as much as you think you should. But I think that's what entry-level jobs are for. In the end, you're there to learn. Because when you get out of university, you don't know that much, <laughs> actually. So yeah, now that I'm almost done with this first year of, of this contract, I can look back and think about it and be a little more uh, compassionate towards myself. But in the moment, it was definitely something that was very present. Yeah. I'm I'm really glad you said this because I feel like I, I can definitely relate. And sometimes when you're so into like your self-doubt, you feel like it's really about the doubt and not about like it's really because you do lack the skills and not about the fact that it's more of a feeling uh, that you have. Um, and I yeah, I, I can definitely relate to the feeling of like, yeah, feeling like you're never not doing enough. And also I feel like when you start working, you're confronted with a lot of your insecurities that you have in daily and like in a daily life, but you're never truly put in front of. Well, when you start working, like they're really apparent and I can I can definitely relate to what, how you're feeling. For this reason, I also think it's very important that people who are um, like supervising are very attentive and very um, directive. I understand they have so many things to do, but like, yeah, I really feel like when you feel like there's little, that you're not given like the right tools to do something and you have to like actively ask for help a lot and you may feel like you're bothering people. I don't know, all of this loop uh, really does not help um, people in entry-level positions. Yeah, but I think about that uh, at the same time, it, it is true that people that are in higher positions, they need to really be clear on the instructions. But I think at the same time, it is really important that people that are in the entry-level jobs and people that are at the uh, lower levels of the hierarchy, it's, it's super important to clearly communicate what you need and what you don't understand. And from the very beginning, it's also important to explain honestly what you can do and what you think you need to learn, what, what you, you think you need more uh, support learning. Because that's something that I think, again, looking back, I could have done differently. So being a little more proactive in communicating what were um, the things that I needed more uh, support and supervision on but I think that's not something that they really teach you anywhere like not in school not in university so you kind of figure it out as you go or at least that was my impression like I always had this impression that I couldn't ask too many questions and that I shouldn't bother other people uh, not that I not that I had any uh, negative experience with people that 
that were higher up, but it was just, I think it was coming from self-doubt. I think it was coming from the fact that I was thinking, oh, there are a lot of things that I don't know that I should know. So I'm not even going to show other people that I don't know these things. I'm not going to ask questions. So yeah, that's something that I would suggest to other people approaching their first job after graduation, that it's totally okay, especially in the first few months or in the first year to ask questions and to be honest about what are the things that you think you still need to learn? Because I mean, they already hired you. So <laughs> it's fine. It's not, they're going to be like, oh, okay. Um, we changed our mind. Like it usually doesn't work like that. <laughs> so yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I think it's important to add here that this fear of asking for help also comes from a, a um, a very individualistic perspective that the Western world has, right? I mean, it's definitely a lot of self-doubt, but it's also, we're also taught that it is better to do things on your own and you are, you're, you are valued if you are independent and you can stand on your feet by yourself. And although Italians and Greeks are collectivistic cultures, we are part of the Western world in a way. And as we grow old and become adults and we get into the working environment and we observe all these people standing on their own feet, that kind of transmits us the, the norms basically that they have. So we also feel pushed to do things by ourselves and not ask for help because that's considered weak. But we are definitely taught that Asking for help is not encouraged. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. I think both both the cultural thing and the self-doubt play into this. And it's not, I think, yeah, not only doubting yourself uh, in terms of like what asking for help means, like what it says about you, um, but also like I think, think in general the social fear of like, wasting people's time and like I don't know yeah just being a burden and uh these things which I think everyone kind of holds but yeah you you really have to like fight against this because everything in the end is more efficient if you ask the questions you need and you go um and do the thing without trying to spend hours figuring out something that you could have asked yeah and I know Ellie, you were particularly keen on discussing like uh, how the pandemic and the 2008 crisis really affected this. Um, do you want to share something about it? Yeah, sure. Um, so first, the premise is that I started high school in 2008. <laughs> so I think I'm that specific group of millennials that was extremely unfortunate <laughs> in that sense, because it's not that we are like older millennials that were already working. So they already had a kind of a sense of how the work field is. And then a lot of negative events happened in, in Europe and in the world that had an, an impact on the financial situation of most Western countries. For my specific age group, all these events, so the 2008 financial crisis, and then the pandemic and all the effects of these two things, they all happened in our formative years. So while I was in high school, for example, I didn't really realize how much of an impact this had on me. But now 
if I think about it, I realize how often I was hearing people complaining or being scared because of the financial crisis. And it was a lot of talking about how the world out there is so difficult. It's becoming so difficult because it's so, so difficult to find a job and to get paid enough. And back then, when I was in high school, there were a lot of companies that were shutting down, they were going bankrupt. So I think that had a, a really big impact on the way that I was looking at studying a university and then getting a job. I felt like there, was, there wasn't that much room for exploring, for trying things out and figuring out who I was. Because there was a lot of talking about finishing your studies as soon as possible in the shortest amount of time and getting into the job market as soon as possible. Yeah, basically being the best. So like the thing that I was saying before about graduating cum laude, like that was, that was a big thing. Like generally you have to graduate in, well, five years because we, in Italy, most courses are like three years a bachelor's and then two years the master's. So three plus two. So yeah, so that, that was the first big impact of the outside world that got into my personal bubble. And for me, on top of that, there was the fact that I actually started another bachelor's before I started psychology. So when I started studying psychology, I was already 22 and I was feeling like I was behind already because of all those like brainwashing <laughs> moments that I had during during high school all these people freaking out about the financial crisis and then I read a lot about this trend of 2020 that was it was called the great resignation trend so basically all these people like I read in like three months it was something like four million people in the U.S. quit their jobs because all of a sudden their entire work was just basically in their living room with like Zoom calls and emails. And a lot of people started questioning, what was it all about? Was it worth it? What were they doing? Was it meaningful? And a very big thing was that a lot of people shared like in articles and stuff that they felt like they were working for someone else's dream. So like working for a company to basically make somebody else rich. So yeah, and I found that super interesting. And it made me think a lot about what I'm doing with my life and my career and where, where I'm going. So definitely these events, they put a lot of pressure on my generation. And I think they increased the anxiety, but then at the same time, they gave us a moment for reflection and we can see it in with so many people quitting jobs, their corporate jobs and going freelance, it, it is telling us something about like how we view work and how we view uh, meaning in life. I didn't know about this, uh, like the great resignation trend. Like I didn't know the, the term, but I can definitely see it even just in like my bubble or like my parents and friends with their parents I think when you're confronted with something like a pandemic you really uh, have time to like think more existential than what you usually in a more existential way than what you usually do yeah so and I think maybe on a like um on, on a more like younger scale considering that we haven't had uh, that much uh time um in the working world to maybe have these existential questions or at least maybe I haven't I was wondering if you think this is connected with 
the need people um, have been feeling in recent years of like um, either taking gap years or as you said, um, postponing um, your studies to like have a bit more time to find clarity on what you want to do. Do you feel like this connects in a way? Yes, for sure, for sure. I actually did take a gap year during the pandemic. So that was after I finished my bachelor's and I was just about to start my master's, but I realized that I was really tired and I, I probably had a mild burnout as well. <laughs> so it was actually one of the first big decisions that I, I had to take for my own self. And I decided to take it. And big part of that reason was because there was a pandemic, right? So I couldn't couldn't study in person also and I didn't want that because I knew it would become something that I don't want anymore and I knew it wouldn't perform, perform well on it so I decided to take this gap year and at this point I also want to say that I consider myself very lucky for being able to take this gap year I understand that the pandemic was a period where a lot of people had the time to think and decide what their future is going to be like and they flourished in some way through the pandemic because they were moving so fast that they actually didn't know what to do but suddenly they took a break and they thought about things and they quit their jobs or maybe they started new things but we cannot turn a blind eye to the other people that actually did not have the opportunity to do that they didn't have the privilege to do that so from my experience, I do consider myself lucky for being able to uh, take a step back, uh, enjoy a gap year of processing uh, what I'd like and what, what I'm, I'm made for, basically. And I did flourish. I did enjoy it very much. And I did start my master's in clinical psychology with a very different mindset. Of course, uh, it's good that you mentioned this because I also wanted to um, say at the beginning like that when we talk about like the pressure of entering the working world, it's very different when there is an actual like financial pressure that is uh, very, very prominent in a person's life and compared to when there's just a perceived more social pressure. So I think especially in, like in my experience, it's much more of a perceived thing than an actual complication. But yeah, but I still think like I, for example, I'm 21 and I never took a gap year. Like I did my bachelor's and I did my master's and um, I will probably st hopefully start working after I finish. But like, I don't know. And I know a lot of people in my bubble who would be so scared of taking a gap year, even though they don't know what they're going to, they want to do. Like, I don't know, they ask themselves these questions, not only of how it would appear in other people's eyes, but they're worried of what they would do, like as if they would not do anything in that year. And that would be such a big problem. Like, yeah, I was wondering why you think people are so scared of like stopping and taking a break in this sense. Well, I was really scared at first as well. And that's why I'm saying it was one of the first really important decisions I had to take in my life. And yeah, I completely relate to them and I was really scared to do it and I was not entirely sure whether I should have done it up until I had no other option basically I think it just takes a lot of acceptance from your part to realize that whenever you need the time you can take it and it's actually going to result in something better but I I understand it because when you take an entire year off it's it's sort of like you're walking away from your goal 
right? And a lot of people get scared with that because they are afraid that in this race, other people will precede them, right? They will stay behind. And that's really scary, obviously. And then it's hard to get back to it again after, after one year. But let's not forget that during a gap year, it's not like you stay stable and passive and idle. It's not like you stay still. You do things, you develop your progress in different ways. Like you don't have to progress only through academics. You can actually develop your mind and read things and explore. Thing exploration is, is great knowledge always. But would you like to share like what kind of what kind of thoughts go through your mind when you when you think of a gap year? Again. Um, already scared of the idea. <laughs> already scared of the question. Um, I don't know. I think I'm scared of like the uncertainty of things, which then will bring me to the next point that I wanted to make of like trying to neutralize this uncertainty with knowing always what's out there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really scared of like, for sure, it, it, it taps like it, other people's judgments and like all these things um, tap into it. I don't know, I feel like until I earn my own money and I am completely financially independent, I feel very, which I know is not the case. Like, okay, I'm going to say this. I'm saying how I feel, not what, not what it actually is. But like, uh, I feel very selfish of like stopping this race because um, I want to get to be financially independent as soon as possible so I don't have to like ask my parents for things for example and I'm for sure worried about filling my time because I get a lot of purpose from the things I do I do a lot of things all the time and I really like the high I have when I feel accomplished and I do a lot of things I think it's low-key addictive as a thing because you get in this loop of like seeing all these things checked off from your to-do list and getting so so much out of it that when you don't have it it's like yeah you feel super lost so I think these are mainly the things I think that is a pretty reasonable um, way of thinking that you actually want to make yourself financially financially independent and that's that's a good reason not to take a gap here you know I think a more problematic approach and attitude towards a gap year would be something more more abstract, like I don't know, like the social judgment yeah. or the expectations that you don't fulfill, things like that. So it's pretty reasonable and pretty sound what you're saying. But also I realize like there are different ways to take gap years in which you do not have to rely on your parents for everything. Like you can uh, I don't know, Luda, for example, the girl who's, who's also <laughs> for sure get out. Yeah, she um, she's taking a gap year now and she worked for like five months as a waitress and then paid for her like trip, you know, and there are very, various ways of doing gap years. I think I have in this sense a very, very capitalistic mindset <laughs> and yeah. I'm not ready yet. I think it's a very like brave decision and I hope I will be brave enough one day to do it, but I'm definitely not ready yet. Which brings me to the other point and um, we can really uh, wrap this up, I guess, unless you have other points you want to make um, of like this feeling that I personally have, but I have shared it with friends a lot and I feel like it's very common. As we said at the beginning, the pressure of entering a working world can uh, play out in two ways either like inhibiting you from applying or making you very very 
uh, like nearly uh, checking in a compulsive manner. And I realized with some friends that um, the way we like approach the job search is very like, I realized when I studied, for example, every time I started studying, I was confronted with like, okay, and why, what am I studying for? And then this like fear brought me to check jobs. So I was procrastinating on studying so much because I checked jobs like all the time. And I looked for positions which were open now when I'm not looking for a job now. So I don't know, I feel like this loop you fall into is of like having to control the outer environment and knowing what's out there. I don't know if you can relate to this, but... I find this very stressful. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely relate to the idea of like wanting to know what's out there uh, for sure. And I think that was actually what pushed me to start applying for positions when I was still studying, uh, when I was still finishing my thesis, because it was like, okay, but then what's next? <laughs> so, so yeah, so I can relate to that. And also for me, it was like, I want to read all the possible job ads that I find because I want to understand what they are looking for but then now that I think about it I'm realizing that what what does it mean they like who who are these people like uh, it really depends on on the field and the type of job that you want to do and the type of work environment you want to be in so yeah and I I really think there is a point in which it's as always there's a point in which it's healthy to like see what's out there and just like check things out and I think you do get a lot like from realizing what for example the mental health field has to offer Um, you get a lot of also what you think is good for you and like what you want to do and what brings you purpose but I also think there's a point in which you're not actually gaining anything from it it's just momentarily decreasing your anxiety and then after like two minutes you'll be anxious again so I guess it's something that I want to try doing and I talked to these friends like to stop the job search it really helps so much like at one point you like you you stop and when you will have to find the job you look for it it makes no sense look for it uh, like for positions opening now when you're not interested well, one, one thing that I would like to add is that that for me specifically was very difficult to accept that certain things were not for me or that were not good for me anymore. So all in all, between the experience that I had during my studies and after my studies in research, in total, basically, I had five years of experience in research. I think I can let that go now. <laughs> But it was a whole process of letting that part of me go. So if I could talk to my past self or if I could tell this to somebody who's in the same position right now, I would say it's okay. You don't have to be, uh, first of all, you don't have to be good at everything. And second, even if you are good at something, it doesn't mean that you have to stick with it for the rest of your life. So it's totally fine to then look for different fields to work in and to just explore different options agreed yeah so i think this is a good bridge into um advice yeah i think this really plays into like self-compassion and yeah and acceptance of what is and what you are how do you personally go about uh, building self-compassion for your for yourself well trying to observe myself so there is like how I think 
that I should feel in a certain situation. And then there's how I actually feel. So yeah, the first step is definitely to observe myself and understand how I'm actually feeling in a certain situation. And with research, I observed myself for quite a long time. And I understood that I was not really happy anymore. It wasn't making me happy anymore. Because I was thinking if I had another person in front of me and I saw that they were not happy how would I talk to them and how would I behave with them what I, I'm pretty sure that I would show them compassion so then I should do the same towards myself that's a very good exercise to talk to yourself the way you talk to other people I think I also in terms of like how to deal with maybe the peer pressure of like and comparison to others like are really really focus on your progress as a person and like seeing where you because we all start in different points I think and we all have different insecurities so I feel like a pro like your progress cannot be compared to anyone else's so to me really focusing on where like I was even like in terms of my self development I guess um like a few months ago or, or a year ago compared to what I'm doing now um, and really like trying to practice like gratefulness and uh, feeling proud of yourself really helps in general. I agree with you, both of you. I think that each person has a very unique thing to offer to the world. And that's why there is no really blueprint on how we should act or what kind of paths we should follow. I think that I don't really believe in comparison between people. I think that um, if people sort of offer their unique and authentic self to anything they do then their their work and the product that they produce is irreplaceable so I think that's a nice take-home message and also in terms of future worries and future plans there's a nice theory called plant happenstance do you guys know about it well, it's, um, it's a theory that basically says that instead of really planning out your future, try to find chances and opportunities through unplanned events. So in very, very simple words, life will bring you somewhere and you don't really have to plan it exactly. Yeah, I think I, I know what you're talking about. Like, I, I think I remember that. And uh, yeah, I always talk about it with the example of that speech that Steve Jobs gave at, I think maybe it was at Stanford, but I'm not sure, but it was a, a university for a graduation ceremony. And he talked about very simply uh, about connecting the dots. So it was like telling all these different stories about his college years, and then he dropped out and some other things that happened when he was already working and when he was with like he was the CEO of, of Apple and then he was he then created uh, Pixar and then at the end of the speech like he puts all these different events together as you're listening it doesn't make much sense because at some point when he talks about dropping out of university he he talks about taking like um this course that was about uh like writing but not like yeah exactly it was kind of like uh with ink and and pen and so and then you're like where is he going with this but then at the end he's like yeah and all the things that I learned there are basically 
the all the things that we put into the fonts of uh, Mac. And it makes so much sense, but only if you connect the dots. So you you get you in life you get a bunch of events, and then at some point life is going to bring you somewhere because there's going to be a point in which you connect the dots. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> nice. Exactly. That's so true. Steve Jobs is very wise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I I agree, and I can I think we can all see it in a very like smaller scale how things are connected in a way that we never thought so yes um we hope this um talk may be of help for people feeling this way in this moment um and we're curious to know how you feel um you can dm us or comment on instagram with us and um go follow ella on instagram for ella the project uh thank you for having me (laughs) And what I want to say is that I'm really glad I participated in this first podcast and it was great having you, Ella, and see you in the next one. Thank you so much um, for joining. It was really, really nice to talk to you. And yes, see you in the next episode.